The Divorce Podcast. Welcome to The Divorce Podcast, a podcast that aims to address divorce here in the UK, countering the often sensationalist way it's portrayed in the media, challenging the status quo and hopefully driving reform. On each episode, I'm joined by experts to discuss divorce from different angles, to give their opinions and to debate them. I'm Kate Daly, a relationship counsellor and divorce coach, co-founder of Amicable, the divorce services company and host of the Divorce Podcast. On this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Penny Mansfield, director of the charity One Plus One and a sociologist specialising in couple and family relationships. Anthony Douglas, CEO of CAFCAS. CAFCAS represents 140,000 children each year in court and are the voices of those children. And Marcy Scholl, founder of Rolling Stone Coaching, the UK's only dedicated co-parenting company who help couples as they go through divorce with their co-parenting relationships. Welcome to all of you. I'd like to start by talking a little bit about divorce and parenting. One of the biggest challenges that couples face when they're divorcing is the desire to continue to be good co-parents and good parents and not to bring their children into proceedings if it can be avoided. Despite this, a couple's separation will always change the nature of their parenting relationship as they move from parents to co-parents and they've got to navigate the challenges that come with this. So Marcy, what in your experience are the priorities for mothers and fathers as they go through divorce? I think that there are three stages really to look at. The first is to move out of the broken down stage of the relationship and get it into a transactional phase where couples and co-parents can talk to each other in a transactional way to enable the safety of the child to keep them as whole as possible. Often when relationships break down, it's really hard to make coherent decisions because you're emotional or there's a lot of pain or anger. So the first kind of step is to go from the broken down and into the transactional phase. And then you can move quite quickly to flexing that transactional muscle where you practice that safety, you practice your co-parenting skills, you learn the negotiation, you learn the boundary setting. And then when you've got you're well-versed in that, into the ally stage where your co-parent is actually your ally and the parental bubble is an unbroken bubble. And even though the child is going from home to home, the parental space is a safe and whole one. And have you seen that change over time or is that something that's always been the case? I think that there's a trend now to move towards shared parenting often, less of a presumption that the mother is going to take the primary care role and the father is just going to have access at weekends. And more of a move towards shared parenting when both parents desire it. And Penny, One Plus One's focus is all about helping people to build stronger relationships. What kind of skills and knowledge do you think parents need as they transition from being parents to being co-parents? Well, obviously, if they have some of these skills before they separate, then one would hope that they would actually use them. And those are the skills that are sort of basic ones of being able to put themselves in the other person's shoes, in particular to listen well to the other person, to communicate very clearly and not in a way that obviously is going to up the ante, and to be able to work out a position where they can solve the problem of how they're going to raise their children in a way that they can both find acceptable and in particular 
listen to the needs of their children. And and this won't be easy. At times it's it's more difficult than other times. But I'd just say that one of the things that we've found is that you have to really look at how people are whether they're emotionally ready for this, because the upheaval, and it depends obviously why the split happens and and all the circumstances, and we know from extensive research that the circumstances of a separation can affect the readiness of each party differently, and that it's quite difficult to negotiate about, you know, care of the children and to manage all the kinds of things you know finances housing everything and just get on with your life of earning a living and and you know getting the kids to school and putting them to bed at night so I think we have to be realistic about stages and help people recognize that not to expect too much of themselves at certain points so that they don't then try to do something that they can't see through. Mm-hmm. And of course, divorce can be as difficult for the children as it is for the parents. And I think there was a recent report by French psychologist Dr. Sarah Defour, who found that conflict between parents has a much more negative effect on children than any other aspect of divorce. And however the adversarial nature is in UK divorces at the moment because of our laws, it often breeds and even exacerbates conflict between couples who are separating. So, Anthony, what's currently being done to afford protection to children whose parents are divorcing and particularly where there is this level of conflict? Well, Kate, I think it's important to say that nine out of ten parents do achieve a separation formula themselves and around the kitchen table or with family and friends. We don't fully know what impact that has on children, but it's bound to be more beneficial than fighting it out in court. When it gets to court, certainly for children, it's about raw emotion. And I suspect it is most of the time, even when it doesn't go to court. So that whilst for adults, you can talk about co-parenting and arrangements for children, it's it's very raw, very emotional, and very hard to put into some kind of a framework, because children are the last to find out, usually. Typically, one adult knows before the other, and it's unplanned, it's messy, as Penny said. And for children, they normally want things to stay the same, unless they were so bad, they're on side a change. But normally, they want to protect some degree of continuity, which is why the co-parenting movement is so important, because adults do eventually most of them, not all, move on. But children are stuck with the family that um, had them. And so we try to protect them by keeping the status quo as far as possible for them in terms of co-parenting continuity and to recognise what they're going through and in our work to help parents to understand their child's views because when adults are fighting and in high conflict, as you've said, that's potentially causing lifelong damage to their children. We have found in many of our programmes, including those where we work with organisations like Penny's and Marcy's, that when parents really do understand the impact they're having on their children, they do often start to move on more creatively for children themselves. So we need to place children at the centre of the conflict. There was a view a few years ago that you had to keep children out of it, but they're in it whether we like it or not. It's just a question of how we can reassure them and achieve some positive change for them. Um, So, Anthony, I just wanted to pick up on something you said then about keeping the status quo. 
um, one of the things that we often come across is that divorce presents an opportunity for parents to reevaluate how they're going to care for their children and whether or not they're going to continue in the jobs that they're doing. And it, it genuinely presents this opportunity for change, sometimes for the better and sometimes for a more equal parenting relationship. So how do you best navigate that desire on the parents' part to change and maybe take for one of them a more active role in the childcare versus keeping things as stable and normal as possible for the children? Yes. Well, I think um, even before divorce, we're in perfectly healthy relationships. Parents are changing all the time. Jobs change. Things change for children. So that's quite normal. What I'm saying is when children are under extreme stress, as they often are, certainly when they first find out their parents are splitting up, then it's quite important to keep some degree of stability for them and to offer them huge change on top of the biggest change that might have happened in their life that's extremely painful, risks being uh, quite abusive uh, if we're not careful. So I'm simply saying if, you're, if you follow children, your co-parenting will go at their pace. You won't be imposing a formula if you want to change your life, children understand that. But you will be protecting what's important for them. I think particularly keeping in touch with brothers and sisters or half-siblings, keeping in touch with friends as far as possible, avoiding relocation over a long distance out of spite and so on. Going at the child's pace and understanding what that pace is, however fast or slow it is. And if you've got more than one child... Um, there it's are different paces, there are yeah. different paces, and some child might actually find it much easier to cope with change than another child, and that often is to do with their age, but it can be to do with their temperament. Uh, and that all is really inconvenient when you're having to deal with lots of other things. So I, I completely echo what, what Anthony says. I think we, we do expect a lot of parents, but I think we have to expect a lot of parents because the children children's needs if they're not really met or they're not understood I think you know a child if they actually feel that somebody is listening to them they can't always have what they want many of them might actually say well I'd rather this didn't happen but it is going to happen but actually recognizing that they need to be heard I think is really important I think you've just raised a really interesting point and that's about communication and how parents communicate with each other but also how they communicate appropriately with their kids and when they do it and to what extent. Obviously, it depends on the situation, how acrimonious it is, how old the child is, and the communication between the parents. But it's really, really important that the child is not left in the dark, that the child has an understanding of where their place is and what's going on and the impact and the potential impact that's going to come. And Marcy, is that what you do a lot of coaching with parents around? Is it that communication and how you speak to parents? Give us some top tips. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think communication is hugely important, how you communicate in that age-appropriate way. One of the things we do at Rolling Stone is talk about how you listen, actually, and how you listen without prejudice, and particularly between the two parents who are separating. How do you hear what somebody who you may have just gone through a very acrimonious breakup with how do you hear what they're saying and how do you trust that the child is front and center of their decision making and it's not as Anthony said before it's not kind of manipulative or out of spite that's something we we do a lot of work around mm -hmm. we certainly find that um, children often faced with their parents splitting up 
choose themselves and they choose the parent often they prefer that may well be the parent they've spent most time with who's their primary carer so you can't suddenly um, impose or transplant a co-parenting arrangement where it hasn't existed before you have to build that up over time and so for the parent who may not have parented much in reality who wants to suddenly be a co-parent that is quite a shift for the child and most kids adapt to that but they'll want to know it's genuine and they'll want to test it out and they'll probably prefer the status quo of being with the parent they prefer rather than being moved around willy-nilly so I think co-parenting to be successful and if it goes at the child's pace will often start slower Mm. and build up rather than be a big bang so I'd say steady state and if you want it to be a big bang then you've got to earn the right for that. Right, absolutely. Mm. And Penny, I know that you're really passionate about evidence-based research. What does the research tell us about how best to go about the co-parenting, and particularly if there are shared care arrangements to be navigated? Well, I think what Anthony's just said is very important. It's that you really try to sort of recognise what the child wants. It goes back to what I said before about, you know, um, listening to them. I I think what the evidence is saying is that actually Anthony's given a very good account of what the evidence says but I think it's uh, the things about ages and stages of children and so obviously in terms of understanding the developmental needs of children that may well mean that one parent doesn't get to see as much of their child or to have overnight visits at the beginning or at certain points and that ha- I think it really helps for parents to understand that this... The trouble with research, it's a bit like we say, well, research says this or mm. research says mm. that. No, what it is, it's actually about telling us what people have discovered about the best arrangements in these situations. And I think if parents could see that as a bit of a gift, which is it's actually you don't have to go through trial and error and have an awful lot of upset, but this is telling you something very important. Now, the problem is it isn't often what you want to hear. And that's where I always say that people around the parents, whether they happen to be grandparents or mm. friends, mm. can do so much to help parents come to terms with the fact that they can't always have what they want. And, mm. and, and you know, I would really say if you've got a friend, um, use them and try to use one, obviously, who's not going to sort of take sides or, or, or just somebody to talk to. And that's where the, the coaching that Marcy does is so good. And I think the thing, the programmes that um, Kafka's have created are really important because it's encouraging parents to listen to other parents and it's sometimes when they hear another parent being angry about something they think oh gosh yes actually but that's not good for that that child it's not my child and I think it helps people to realize that they have got to be patient and they yeah they are the adults they have got to give more I think yes we're trying to learn how to get to the end of the case quicker because in the end not all parents but most to resolve their dispute to a greater or lesser extent. But the months, the weeks, the months, and sometimes years of acrimony that mm. um, go by is so hugely damaging. We're still trying to find the way in which that might be avoided um, for the children's sake. And so I don't think the law particularly helps because it tends to emphasise who the child lives with and who the child spends time with. And we're trying to see it in terms of each parent adding emotional strength to their child. 
So you might be a co-parent, but actually not see your child very much, but you're with your child all the time. You're adding strength as and when you can, whatever way your child needs and wants that to be done. So that you've got two parents adding strength and resilience, as Penny said, as your child grows up hugely vulnerable, you're trying to help them through this transition to a place where, as so many children in um, Britain and the world today are living in a, a blended family um, with repartnering, is perfectly normal mm-hmm. and per- nothing like it was 50 years ago. No stigma, it shouldn't be, often isn't. But it's a difficult transition and the quicker the help comes, the quicker you get into programmes like Pennies and Marcy's, the, 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 the more the child can be helped. And Marcy, do you do much coaching at this point around blended families? Yeah, absolutely. We do a lot. And actually the, the space of a blended family is hugely complicated and often really loaded with nervous energy because, you know, there are new partners and there are new grandparents and step-siblings and half-siblings. And it's just a very complicated space to work in. And one of the things we really focus on is for the children of the original relationship is everybody having the same messages, okay, Mm -hmm. and everybody having consistency and continuity. And that brings the stability that you've, Penny and Anthony, have been talking about, which is hugely, hugely crucial um, for those children from the original relationship. And it was interesting, Penny, what you said at the beginning of this about parents ideally learning the skills before they're in a crisis. So as couples, we need to get better at having the skills, the relationship skills, so that when we do hit bumpy patches or we do end up in a divorce situation, we're already drawing on the skills and knowledge that we've got from being a good partner in order to take that forward into a co-parenting relationship. And I was just wondering, you know, what kind of skills do we need to be helping people learn and who should be teaching these skills? Where do we find this knowledge? Is it school or yeah? Well, it's interesting because from the autumn of 2019, we will have um, compulsory relationship and sex education. And one of the things that we've proposed to the Department for Education is that they really do focus on the skills that are part of being a relationally capable person. And these are They're important to you if you're five, if you're eight, if you're 12, if you're 25, you know, and, you know, all the way through your life. I mean, basically, you know, people who get on well with each other get on in life. So it's perfectly sound thing for schools to be teaching this. And I think, you know, if if that goes well, maybe we will have parents who are going to be better at managing the difficult times in their relationships, whether or not that leads to them breaking up if they break up and they repartner. But at the heart of that really is a, a degree of understanding of yourself, being able to regulate your emotions, being able to say clearly what you want, to be able to put yourself in the shoes of the other person. And I think teaching children, I know you can do that with very, you know, quite small children and build it up. So I think that's going to be a very important part that, you know, it's just not a focus that you have when your relationship breaks up, that it's a skill for life and it will improve how your family functions. So like a reflex? Yes. Well, interestingly, in stuff that we've done with parents who are separating is really trying to get them to identify well, to see themselves. So one of the things is is little films showing a situation going 
badly and then seeing it going better. And I don't say going wrong and I don't say going right. And that's really important because we want parents to think, I could do that. And really, that's one of the things that they get is, oh, it doesn't have, they see exactly the same thing. It doesn't have to end in the usual thing. Mm. The other thing is we show the the people involved in it, including the children, commenting on how why it went badly and how they felt about it and how it went better. So you give people a sense that things can change. And I think it's very hard at the beginning when you're feeling maybe hurt or you're feeling guilty or whatever to actually stand back and take that time to reflect on you know, what you've done or what you haven't done. And I think the more that, obviously in coaching you do that, but I mean for people maybe who, who, who can't avail themselves of that, what we have through some of the stuff that we provide online is an opportunity to have a window on their behaviour and how they could change it in order to give their children a better better start after divorce. And I think you were telling me before, weren't you, Anthony, about some work that CAFCAS are doing in that same or that similar vein or some research around immersing yourself in a situation so that you can feel the situation and then you can empathise with the child. Do you want to speak a little bit more about that? Yes, it's based upon um, immersion in the child's world and understanding that and that um, we're trying to develop techniques to do that. But to support what Penny's saying, and Kate, you and I had a conversation about whether in that same spirit you could have a prenup for about children, because you have a prenup about money, but a prenup about children, which is when you plan to have a child or when you get together, of course nobody plans to separate, not normally, you don't go into a relationship saying, well, I'm in this for two years and then I'm off somewhere else. Well, you say that actually, but let, oh, you're going to butt in here because <laughs> I find this really fascinating. So in a world where we're all living to 100, well, not necessarily all of us, but in theory, people born today are going to live... percent of children will live to be 100. Exactly. And so you're going to have a, a number of potential yes, long-term... Yes, eight years. Yeah, so a number of long-term partners... So uh, the expectation or the plan that you may well divorce or separate from your long-term partner probably is more of a reality than it obviously has been in the past. So I, I think mm. it's interesting what you say, but I think there will potentially be that Although there was a thing called death. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, it's, hard, it's important to remember that in the past a lot of children didn't have both parents because of mm-hmm. death, and that's so we've had experience of it in, in, an, in, in that context. Yeah. I was struck by, in terms of prenup, that in uh, working with, say, people who have psychotic episodes, mm-hmm. that um, there's a, a, a technique now to effectively leave instructions, set up instructions. So the next time you have a psychotic episode, those close to you can understand what you're going through more and know what to do. It may be that you say, I'm going to talk the the craziest um, stuff possible. Don't be fooled by it. Ignore me. Um, this is actually what I need to get through it. And I think the it's it's not. I'm not saying it's psychotic when you break up by any means, but you you do lose sometimes the ability to be rational, yeah, um, and to communicate mm-hmm. and to have a set of instructions that you put together when you're both sane and thinking clearly, Mm. that you can then draw upon, or those around you can draw upon, 
may have some merit because often I think in the work we're doing, we're trying to get people back to a state of being rational and being able to communicate. Whereas if you, if I look at something, I, if I'm in that position and I look back and I wrote something saying, I will behave like this, should we be unfortunate enough to separate or divorce, then perhaps that's got some credence and I can own it more than just something somebody else is telling me to do. Very interesting. I think I think having those agreements set up, as you say, when you're in that rational space and it, when you're being your better parenting self is absolutely fundamental and I think that does help people because it's come from them to actually say to themselves okay this has come from me this is genuinely I've co-created this this is something that I know will work I think it is very fascinating if I could just then I'm conscious of the time and <laughs> if I could just then say to you all what's the one thing what's the message that we need to get across having debated all the different strands of it in, in this podcast what do you take away as the one message we need to communicate Penny I think we have to be realistic people won't always get on but we really need to make people understand that there are there are constructive ways and there are destructive ways and to understand the difference mm. and recognise that this is one of the best things they can do for their children. Marcy? Yeah, to build on Penny, I think, to be collaborative as parents, even when you're no longer together, to learn to listen to each other and learn how to communicate with each other with your child front and centre. Anthony? To warring parents, don't turn your children into child soldiers. Give up the fight. There are no winners, just losers, and the biggest losers of all are children. That's all we have time for today. So thank you very much. Uh, Marcy, Anthony, Penny, uh, how can people find out more about you and your organisations? Anthony, are you on Twitter? Where can we find out about Kafkas? Easier um, on our website, www.kafkas.gov.uk. And Marcy? www.rollingstonecoaching.com. And Penny, what about One Plus One? We have uh, a new virtual support environment called clickrelationships.org.uk. Thank you. You can find out more about Amicable at www.amicable.io or you can follow me on Twitter at Kate underscore daily or you can follow the Divorce Podcast at Divorce underscore podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you.